The scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I might touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. Hi, everyone. Good morning and happy Pride. I am today in the high desert in Tucson, Arizona, this week with my partner's family who are from this gorgeous border place. I think you can see it a little bit behind me. It's just stunning. And the internet isn't too strong up here, as it shouldn't be, I think. And so we'll see how this goes. So first, thank you, Fred, and the leadership of City Church for the invitation to be here. And thank you to everyone who is leading and supporting this really moving service. Um, I'm a fan of your community. And thank you, City Church, for your witness to the gospel. A few years ago, I went to the Brooklyn Museum with our son, Tomas, who is now an adult who ended up studying art in school. And that day, um, I wanted to see an exhibition of the work of an African artist and thought Tomas might also find it interesting. The Brooklyn Museum, like many museums, um, collects ancient art and art from its community and particularly has a focus on the African diaspora. And it's very political and intentional um, in that place around how it organizes itself. It's a very powerful place. If you haven't been, 
So it, it also has some of those colonial period priceless antiquities that were stolen from across the globe um, during the colonial era. Um, the kinds of things that the Met and the British Museum have, I'm sure there are things like that in San Francisco as well, deeply troubling and awe-inspiring. Frankly, you get to see things face-to-face -face that someone like me that hasn't been to so many of those places um, would never see, but again, deeply troubling. So among that work that has been stolen from across the centuries are the Benin bronzes. They were looted during the war with the British force attempting to colonize Nigeria at the time. They destroyed the palace in Benin City and took their historical documents, which were what are now called these bronzes, mostly brass plaques, which documented important events. So, and they're you know ancient, priceless, and there's currently a movement to get this work back to Nigeria, where it is both of sacred value and, of course, also of historic and cultural value. So the work I wanted to see that day was from the Ghanaian artist El Ensui, who was born in, Ga in Ghana. And just in case you're interested in looking him up, it's E-L-A-N-A-T-S-U-I. He's living and working in Nigeria, and he was trained um, in Europe. So on display were some pieces from his uh, series called the Bottle Cap Sculptures. They're exactly what they sound like, the tops of soda bottles, smashed flat and connected to one another to create sculptures. Sounds kind of odd. It's really like shockingly compelling and, and moving. And you can hear in my description even the echo of the Benin bronzes. So he is taking the waste of a wasteful extractive industry, extractive of water for a non-hydrating, costly product that produces a waste, right, in its, um, in its glass and its metal, buried in the ground, creating non-productive earth, laying waste to the earth. This waste in the artist's studio is made beautiful and provocative. The Brooklyn Museum can be a bit of a maze, so as we were walking around trying to figure out where we were going, which I think they do to you on purpose, we were distracted, of course, by very interesting things along the way, literally at times just following the crowd like this Bible story enjoying the exploring, we walk through the iconic dinner table exhibit, that feminist critique of the maleness of fine art collecting and legitimizing of cultural product. Um, I had forgotten it was there, right? Whose stories do we tell? Whose stories do we hear? Who makes our history? How do we tell our story? And through a doorway, I saw from a distance what literally looked like the hem of the garment, not like I was in the Bible. You know, the one in Revelations at the end of time, says that God sits upon the throne and the hem of God's garments fill the hall, the Bible says. God is so vast that like the folds of a mother's sari or skirt that you might remember hiding in as a child, I do, vast and safe, close to the safe body, God's garments swirl to embrace us all. And the Bible seems to say a vast, vast peace. So back to the museum. This piece I noticed from a distance looked to me like a red and gold fabric falling, strangely stiff from the ceiling, um, so high, right, folding, draped, but still like sari pleats to the ground that I remember holding onto as a small child to keep close to my mother at church or at some um, party that we would have gone to, some social occasion. And from that perspective, it's what you would see looking up as a little kid. So as we got closer, it was larger than I had first imagined seeing it through the doorframe. It was literally drawing us in because even though we thought we knew what it was, it looked like fabric. It clearly wasn't just that. There was something about it that was different that made us need to see it closer up. Of course, there was a metallic sheen because it was made of smashed bottle caps clipped together, but so vast that they took on the qualities of fabric. My very first thought about it was, I wish we had something like this to hang behind our altar at our church, 
If I could but touch the hem of the garment, what a powerful thing to witness when you come and look towards the table at our church to see the hem of that garment, right? If I could but touch the hem of the garment, I would be healed. In Mark, Jesus moves from community to community, through communities harmed by the world. Jesus makes political choices in Mark. Go back and have a look at those first five chapters. They're quick. See where he goes. He finds people who have been sinned upon. Sin has acted upon them. This story comes right after the Gerasian demoniac, the man who lives among the graves and it says hits himself with stones, bruises his own body, the one that used to be chained, a tortured soul cast out by others, who then, like now, that person, right, points to the tortured bodies and grave injustices of the world that we all occupy together, the restraints some of us put voluntarily upon our hearts and minds, and those who will not or who cannot and will not live with those restrictions, who testify to something else for us, who will shout out to us the cruelties of this life, who live in testimony to the death-dealing powers of this world. We have all become a little bit of that this year. We have faced death down, most of us, most of us much worse for the wear, and we have all encountered truths usually hidden or repressed. We are all a little wild-eyed in some way for some part of the day, I'm guessing. I wonder if we can just tamp all that down and go back to normal. We probably can, but we probably shouldn't. What does it mean when almost everyone has known what it means to want to reach out for the holy garment? Almost every one of us have known our need of healing. Haven't we all been changed in this past year? Today, Jesus goes to heal a child with a distressed father, a girl who will die. His little daughter, the distraught father says, he clearly loves her. Little daughter, he says. Along the way, this urgent way, a woman who was suffered at the hands of healers, the hands of physicians, it says, a woman like so many people with uteruses, like so many people who bleed, who could not find a healer for her, could not find a satisfying explanation, but believed that there might be a way to be healed. She touches him, it says, or actually just his garment. She reaches out from the crowd for what she needs and feels her own body healed, it says. She is well. And Jesus, it says, feels something too. Some power has gone out from him. He has changed. She took it, but don't worry. He's all right, but he felt it. It is a kind of play on Pentecost and communion, isn't it? Her life-giving blood that has overproduced become a threatening, life-extracting waste. Threatening to her own life is put right. Jesus' healing power has returned her body, her blood, to its intended purpose. This Jesus has power to restore to fullness of life that which sickness and the ways of this world endanger. Now, I don't know what kind of pride you need this year, where it seems like what was made to give you life has become a terror or exploited for a harmful use or narrated to you, made meaning of, in ways that are not true to you, twisted upon itself and made a product or a commodity. I don't know what in your life needs to be smashed and clipped together with others to offer a vision of something greater than any one of us. I don't know what you reach out with when you imagine healing for yourself, a better day, or justice for your communities. I do know the healing garment is vast, 
as vast as God's love for this gorgeous creation of which you are an essential part. Let that garment be your horizon, the place your vision takes you. It means you can reach deep for the healing you might be afraid to name, for the justice and restoration that seems impossible. The Bible today says to us, reach for it. Amen.